Ow, I just got cramp in my foot. Oh my god. Oh. Ow. Okay. <laughs> That's definitely staying in. <laughs> Ow. Oh, I said I'm so dehydrated. Oh. <laughs> okay, All we're right. back. Uh, you are listening to Use the Fans of Fear, aka Representation, your favorite podcast with your favorite brother and sister. Just want to shout out our sponsors. We are using our brand new very sexy mic so thank you to greenleaf this was literally brought to you by greenleaf because we're using our new microphones bought by sponsorship money baby yeah this is it we had all that chat about leveling up and we're here we're leveling up we're sounding good hopefully it comes through and it sounds all right but yeah we are just it's been a little while since we last spoke after our guest anu shout out to her wherever she might be today and um we're still reeling from our interview with uh, the one and only Artie. I am obsessed. Me and Yusuf, we're like, obviously we love all of our guests, but for some reason we were both just like totally taken by Artie. Mission she replied to my Insta story today and I was like, well, she just wants to be my friend, which is lucky because <laughs> I want to be hers. Yeah, she is. Um, I mean, I don't want to throw out the word perfect, but she's perfect. she is a bit perfect. She's a bit perfect. Yeah, so we, we talked about a lot. She is, do, I mean, like we said, I think the phrase we used was many strings to her bow. She, she does it all and she doesn't not only do it all, she does it all incredibly. She's an amazing DJ. She's an incredible dancer. And she's also... The economic journalist at the Times. Yeah, at the Times. Not like, you know, The Sun. She's an economic correspondent for the Times. That is a serious broadsheet. That is serious stuff. That is serious God, stuff. Jesus. And I wish, you know. I wish she was in our life more. Let's let's we just <laughs> ask her to come back. First, second appearance. Yeah, maybe we should Two get time a guest. Yeah, just full-time host, maybe. I might just pretend that I'm like calling her up and like recording another podcast thing, but really I'll just be having a chat. So what else have we got to um right? Enough fangirling for RT. There's plenty of time to get into the, the podcast, the interview with her. So we'll do that a little bit later on. Um, but what else has been going on? Oh my God, so much. I'm literally exhausted. In my personal life, Yusuf, I've moved house. I've had so many guests. Spring is here. All the clubs are open. I'm tired. But in representation news, we're doing a festival. We are. We are doing a festival. Shout out to Basket of Light, aka Tambourine Hands, aka Polly Ritmo and Austin. I've got them on my forthcoming Swoo FM guest show. So make sure you listen into that for an interview and guest mix. Yes, we are doing a festival. Representation is going to its first festival. We are very excited. We get to do a stage takeover at an amazing festival that I went to last year. It's called Basket of Light. It's in the south of Wales, about an hour and a half from Bristol. And it features loads of dance music, it features loads of live music across multiple areas. It's super intimate, about three, four hundred people. But you get to know everyone by the end of it. You get to become best friends with 300 people by the end. Um, and there are maybe a few tickets left. So get on that. A few handful of tickets yeah so go on to head first and search for basket of light uh who do we have djing we've got yusuf suave of course our number one our resident dj we actually i'm not on the lineup weird anyway um we've got princess coco and then in headliner slot we have the incredible talented podcast previous podcast guest previous podcast guest Marissa Malik, aka Manuka, 
funny. I cannot wait to just get backstage and chat, chat, chat about my horoscopes <laughs> with them. I'm going to be like, okay, please tell me what's happening for this month. Will I be happy? Will my job be going okay? All I'm going to do is be chatting her off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also in some serious horoscope need. I actually got co-star the other day. I'm not going to tell you why. Well, you know why. But, um... <laughs> Were you seeing if you were compatible with someone, maybe? <laughs> Uh, what sorry, what um what time were you born? Oh stop asking me hey, that on a second um, date, so lame. Uh random question. What was the exact minute you were born? And no reason. Location, please. Uh, <laughs> just want to see if we'll be married with two kids or if I should just end it now. If I should just run for the hills right now. But yeah, basket of light, we're super excited. We've got yeah, Manuka Honey, Princess Coco, Yusuf Suave, it's gonna be lit. And I'll also just be there. I'll be the resident hype girl, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, you could play. There's a space opened up due to scheduling changes beyond our control. <laughs> but yeah, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play. Um, so we've got Basket of Light. We've also got our second BNO, Big Night Out, happening on Friday at Crofters, so 6th of Friday May. Friday the 6th of May, yeah. And, you know, you're supposed to be playing. So, you know, you could be playing that Basket of Light if you want to. Yeah, exactly. I'm literally just going to Spotify DJ CBA. No, just joking. I'm going to download some songs after this. And tell you what, yeah, it's just been busy generally, hasn't it? I was at Yusuf, sadly, missed it. But last month we also had Dialed In, number two. Another fantastic day. And I actually went to the after party this time and we missed out first year. So I was just really jealous and I went to well, the after party and it was amazing. You only went to the after party because Natalia knew somebody working at the venue. It's not like you got an invite backstage but from anyone. I, literally, it's so funny. We're still not, we're still not at that stage yet where we're getting guest passes it's so funny because like obviously i knew who everyone was was chatting away a few people knew who i was we had lovely conversations and i think everyone just kind of assumed that i was there because i knew people but i was like no my white friend i'm here with who knows literally nobody just knows <laughs> person who is running like owns the building or something so i managed to come backstage thank you natalia more of an influencer than i do yeah thanks white people <laughs> Yeah, thanks, white people, for helping me feel more accepted in the brown space. <laughs> oh, but it was actually really fun, another good year, and I just can't wait for the next one. And it was very different as well. It was very, um, it was felt more like a club night. The first one was very like outdoorsy, daytime, kind of floaty. This one, I felt like I was in a big fat rave at two p.m. in the afternoon, and I was, and I was, and it was amazing. Well, good stuff. We love the daytimers. We love dialed in. Can't wait for more. So yeah, that's um, probably enough chat from us. Um, we've told you about everything that we've got going on. Obviously, we've got our night at Crofters Rights. We've got Basket of Light Festival. Before we go any further and get straight into our interview with the amazing, talented Artie, I just want to say, give my second shout out to Greenleaf Catering. If any of you lot planning on getting married, go check them out because they do do great food and they also paid us to say this. So thank you. Thank you, Greenleaf. Okay, so our next guest, we're very, very, very excited. She has a bow with about 500 million strings. I mean, get a girl who can not only do both, but can do maybe everything on the planet. So not only is she a superstar DJ, if you haven't heard any of her mixes, she's got some guest mixes all over the place. We've got Asian Network, One Extra, NTS. She's got a rinse radio show that I believe is at a lunchtime on a Wednesday. And, and she is 
one of the sexiest dancers I've ever seen in my life. So if you ever just find yourself watching a music video that is maybe, I don't know, Dave's, you might spot her in the background. And then last but not least, an economic correspondent at the Times, ladies and gentlemen, we've got Artie in the house. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you two said before that you're going to gas me up, but that was <laughs> a gassing from <laughs> next to the other. It was pure facts. It was pure facts. Okay, I embellished it. I embellished it. I did call you a sexy dancer and say that you had about 500 million strings to your bow, but it was facts. Yeah, it's strictly facts. <laughs> and honestly, the pleasure is all ours. It's so good to have you here. And from my perspective as well, it's so great to have somebody else in the South Asian community that loves dancehall just as much as I do. So I have to say a big up to you there. What was your first introduction to dancehall? Where were you? Like, was it a carnival or was it on the radio? How, how did you get into the genre? This is such an interesting question. I was thinking about it recently and it was actually um, Man Down by Rihanna, which is not even a dancehall song, but I really liked that song and I was just looking into it and it got me into reading about dancehall culture. And then I realised a lot of the songs I do, like. I always liked Vibe, Vibes Cartel, but I didn't realise it was dancehall when I was younger. And I kind of started linking things up after kind of just doing a bit more research and then I realized that this is a sound I really really like and that was what a bit over 10 years ago I think and um when that album came out and um it just kind of got me thinking about it and then I was I went to Colombia at one point for a bit and the dembo rhythm is really like prevalent there it's in reggaeton as well and so I used to read about shabaranks and I used to listen to different kinds of rhythms that you'll find across um dancehall and reggaeton culture and it kind of just entrenched it and um yeah, it just went from there, really, just one thing to another. But it's interesting because it was that mainstream exposure. It was Rihanna that got me looking into it and then realizing that um, I really, really resonate with the sound. It makes me happy. And yeah, I love that you said that, you know, because I think it is the genre I always like to play. Not always, but often I play it first to warm me up, <laughs> like before I'm even trying to warm anyone else up because it relaxes me. It makes me happy. It just um, is, is, yeah, I think it's probably the, the closest to my heart, I'd say. This is something I've been thinking about quite a lot, especially having been at Dialed In, being surrounded by all these amazing brand people, is that it is kind of annoying, I think. Sorry, this is just like a long, irrelevant interlude to a, like a very basic question. But like it is kind of annoying that as people of, a, of just like a heritage that's not English, maybe we feel, and this, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, we feel like we have to talk about it a lot. When like, if you were a white guest on a podcast, no, yeah, you know, like no one, if you were a white guest on a podcast, I wouldn't be asking you about your heritage and what that means to you. But I'm like, but at the same time, we do find it really interesting. So like, I half want to make this podcast irrelevant of that. But I'm also like, no, but it is really important as well. Like it is really interesting. Our culture and heritage is really important. So I do still Having said all of that, I do still want to ask you, so you were born in India and you grew up there and feel free to make this answer as long as short as possible. But I just wanted to ask, like, you know, having been born there and then moved over to the UK, like what your connection to the country is like? No, definitely not. I get I get what you're saying. And to be honest, I haven't figured out the answer to that one myself. But um, but yeah, on the um kind of background stuff. So I was born in Chennai um, and then we moved, uh, Chennai is where I'm from in South India and Tamil Nadu. And we moved to um, my home village, which is called Kotiur. And I think we moved around a little bit. And this is our village in the South of India. Like if you're thinking like geography, like the bottommost tip. And um, 
yeah, we kind of grew up. I was there until I was about two with my family, my parents, and my brother. And um, my parents wanted to pass their exams to become doctors here. So uh, my mum did that and then she moved it over here and we eventually joined her. And, um, and we moved around a lot here as well. Um, but essentially, I think my experience, like you said, I, yes, I speak Tamil and a lot of my family is still in Tamil Nadu and across India. And um, I felt really connected with it when we were old enough to travel by myself me and my brother used to go and spend um like whole summers there when we were younger um and then we used to go we'd go for like our cousins weddings and whatnot i think it tapered off a little bit when we got older um but before the pandemic we were still going every couple of years um to see our family my grandma's still um in chennai um in a park called kodambakum and yeah so i think i have always felt really connected to it in that way and um we're quite close to our community which are called Chettiyars, which is like a group of 92 villages in, in south um, Tamil Nadu um, here there's a big diaspora and the US is a big diaspora and we're quite close to them so there's gatherings for Tamil New Year and whatnot so I've always felt quite um, attached to my culture growing up and it's actually been a weird shift um, in the last few years I think because I have always felt quite attached to other Indians um, and I've kind of, I think, probably taken on the thing of like associating myself with North Indians, like we have the same culture, but I've realized recently just how different it is. Um, and I've actually felt a lot more connection with my own Tamil South Indian culture and felt closer to, for example, the food that we cook or the way that we dress or our language. And I think I've also just learned a little bit of, I feel like self-hate is a really strong word, but I think I did feel growing up as a teenager, I think I did feel that like there was more social standing and being linked with North Indian culture, which was Bollywood, which was better known. Um, they're seen as more beautiful because of lighter skin and more, you know, features that are conventionally beautiful um, by Western standards and whatnot. And so I think that I kind of liked the association when I was growing up, but then I kind of realized that it's not actually my culture and I love my culture. I just really want to be more associated with that and I want to understand more about it. And I don't have to be associated with anyone else to appreciate what I've actually been raised with. So yeah, and that's been a very recent process, to be honest. I'm surprised because you kind of think that with all this discussion on social media, we all would have unlearned everything by now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's really not the case. Um, so yeah, I do feel very um, connected with it. And it's been really interesting also speaking to other people in the diaspora, because I think people who I suppose don't speak the language or weren't born um, in the country that their heritage is from maybe feel a little bit less identified with it. Um, not personally, they might feel as identified with it, but by other people, they might feel like, oh, they don't think I'm, you know, Tamil enough or Indian enough or whatever. And I don't think that's the case at all. But I definitely think that because it was pretty straightforward for me, I suppose I didn't have those kind of identity issues. I had the other ones whereby I was so clearly like Indian Tamil and I kind of wanted to not be growing up mm. kind of thing. And now I'm just coming back round. Oh, yeah. Cool. Are we um are we very excited then? And it's interesting how yeah our identities like just go on these like mad journeys as we get older and older. And like you said, you feel like we should know it all already because of social media. Um and this is something that I've only just become aware of as well recently, like to be completely honest, I wasn't aware of like the complexities around like you know having a Tamil identity and how you might want to like disassociate or like keep that separate from the rest of India um but are you gassed for the Tamil representation I haven't watched any of it but Bridgerton 
very exciting. Oh, yeah, no, they, yeah, I think it's so great that they, that they got those two girls on and Charitra and Simone Ashley and they look absolutely gorgeous. They're such amazing actresses. I have watched it. <laughs> um, and I was just so happy for them that they got that. And my, um, cousin was saying as well actually because um she like she just never heard people say, she's younger she's a teenager and she's never heard people say upper which is what tamil people call their dads um on like a big show like that and um to see how much it meant for her i was thinking oh that's that's really really sweet like uh, that's it's really really good i think that they did that because um you know that but i think that's what that's what bridgerton's about isn't it i think they their main selling point i think is that they really really do focus on representation and their casting and um yeah i think to be honest i'm at a bit weird point about representation so personally i was kind of like it's beautiful to see these girls like they look amazing i'm so glad that they are being held up as an ideal of beauty which tamil people are often not and um I'm really glad for them personally that they got this amazing gig as well. But equally, I'm kind of like thing stepping back from the idea of representation as the the be all and end all. So I think for me personally, it didn't go that much further than that. And then seeing how important it was for my cousin who saw them as like role models as a as a younger woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so to bring it back, we we're talking about your your cousin. When to bring it back to to you and when you were growing up, where did you grow up? in terms of your kind of teenage formative years and how did that affect um, your kind of foray into music and, and dance? Oh, interesting. So I moved around a lot. Um, so as I was mentioning, my parents were junior doctors, right? They kind of just get kicked about all over the place based on wherever your placements are. And so we were in um, Merthyr Tidfil, we came to from India, Merthyr Tidfil in Wales. <laughs> we moved from Chennai to Merthyr Tidfil. Um, oh no, sorry, I think we were in Kutu at that point, but um, moved around Wales a little bit, then Surrey for about a year, Newcastle for about five years, and then settled in Nottingham. Oh my God, all over the place. Yeah, so it really was all over the place. Um, but I say I'm from Nottingham because I was there for the longest. I was there for my formative years, like my teenage years. And um, I think, how did it affect my interest in music? That's a really, do you know what? I've literally never thought about that. I'm thinking about this right now for the first time. I'm going to think out loud. I think Nottingham has a really creative scene and there's a lot of independent music. I think I was really into um, hip hop and rap first. And I think from there it developed into, that's when I found out about dancehall was around that time. Um, and Afrobeats as well, um, around my like kind of end of school years. And so I think it was from that really, I remember in my year out was when I started to learn to DJ. That was my year out after I finished school. And um, I started downloading music and i remember i heard um lemonade by sophie and that was like life-changing <laughs> to me i was like i've never heard music like this before um it had just come out i think it was 2014. i think that was one of my first introductions to electronic music as electronic music and going from there into various genres and subgenres, just kind of going through different phases of different music like whether it was uk funky um i had a i bought in 2010 and because I wasn't from London, like I wasn't really around the funky culture like that, but I bought an album called, I think it was called like Street Nation or something. And it had like all the funky tune. And to be honest, that was like when I learned about all of that stuff and um, started listening to Garage. And so I didn't really listen to all of this stuff at the time it came out, but I kind of um, caught up <laughs> later on um, when I was starting to look into stuff myself because I wasn't really around those cultures. I would say when I was growing up, like I wasn't really around friends that were into electronic music i suppose until i was um a little bit older so yeah i think it was kind of just my own getting myself involved and doing research i think that got 
got me into that kind of um, stuff. What was it for you, you guys, out of interest? Um, I mean, for me personally, I think it was go. It was just being out in clubs when I was like sixteen, seventeen. I knew that I, I always had an interest in music, but I just didn't have the patience to to learn the piano or anything like that. And obviously, like if you're a seventeen year old boy and you're in a club and you think, okay, everyone's looking at the DJ, like I think I'd quite like I'd quite like to do that. Um, yeah. But the problem is I just played to empty rooms so nobody's looking at me 15, 16 years later. <laughs> um, so yeah, I still need to work on that bit. Um, so yeah, it was, it, was probably, it was probably that for me in terms of like making, making the jump from just listening and enjoying music to, to being like, well, actually I want to like reach out into, into other areas. What about you, Sophia? Um, I, yeah, I think similar to you, Artie, like I, music was something that kind of came properly into my life when I was older um it was just kind of you know I think I probably spent most of my teenage years listening to pop music not because I had like a passion for it but I just wasn't that interested in music it was just something that was always on the background but it was just like towards the end of uni slash finishing uni that like I actually like found a genre that I was into and then just became like a bit of a geek about it so just like would listen to like podcasts and get to know like all the history behind these artists and the music and how they tell like a million stories um dissect podcast I think that was life-changing listening to him talk about Frank Ocean's Channel Orange yeah Kanye West one as well it's so good oh and I was like this is amazing and then living me and Yusuf lived together for a while and well our whole most of our lives being siblings but we lived together as adults away from our parents um over the lockdown and then I think I was just like hey Yusuf tell me more what's going on oh you dj can i dj too and then it's just kind of like snowballed and snowballed um but yeah similar similar as well like it wasn't something like yusuf has been into it for about 15 years and i think i'm still kind of new into it so i always feel like the least qualified person in the room of music heads i'm like well don't ask me anything but i don't think there is um i totally get what you mean but i don't actually think that there's any need for knowing the ins and outs of like how a song is made or being able to talk about it in a certain way because how you feel as someone that doesn't feel to use your word qualified is as important I would say as someone who knows like oh that baseline echoes this or reflects this or that kind of thing so I think um yeah I'm a big believer of how a song makes you feel is is the most important thing because I've always felt like I don't know how to describe how I feel but I know how I feel and I know how I want people to feel when they listen to my music but I don't think that should be a barrier to to DJing or to maybe it's a bit of a barrier to production <laughs> I don't know I can't produce <laughs> and so at the same time then as you were getting into you know your funky in your garage and, and dance hall and dembo and all the rest of it was dance happening at the same time or is that something that you've been doing since you were a child like dance was always first actually so I've always loved dance since I was little and I really wanted to go to classes and for whatever reason it didn't really work out until I was old enough to have my bike and I could actually cycle myself and take myself there so I ended up going to these classes where we did like slow kind of dancing more like gymnastic-y type stuff and um, then I threw that I found hip-hop and that was the one that stuck really so um, yeah I think probably since I was 15 I was dancing and it was from that actually that I found DJing because I saw someone who was putting together a mix for a competition I was performing in and I asked him to show me the software DJ Raz I always shout him out on this kind of stuff 
um yeah he's he's a sick dj and he showed me and told me where he learned which is london sound academy um this was now in my year out when i was based in london so i started taking lessons there and that was how the djing linked with the dance but the the dance has always been a thing i, I took it more seriously at uni um in my year out i was training in london um at this, there's so many good studios in London. Then in uni, I um, got involved in our, our hip hop crew at uni. We did competitions and whatnot. And so worked on my choreography there. And yeah, and then since after that, I've always trained in London, but I didn't really think it was something I could ever do professionally until I fell into it. I was at a class which ended up being an audition for um, to perform for WizKid at the O2 Arena Afro Republic, which was this indoor festival. And um, at the time, WizKid was obviously huge, but not as well well-known um, in the UK. Yeah, this was probably like 2018. And um, yeah, anyway, it didn't work out, um, but I ended up dancing for Tiwa Savage at that same event. And then I thought, that's actually mad. Like someone's actually paid me to dance. <laughs> I never thought this would happen. And um, so off the back of that, I just tried to push for work a little bit more. I ended up getting the, the Dave job. And then I had joined a couple of dance crews at that point, um, the Archetype, which is a hip hop dance crew and Afro Queens, which is an Afro styles, um, African styles dance crew. And through them, um, I found the, the Dave job. And then after that, I thought, let me apply for agents, ended up signing with some agents and booking more work through them. Oh. And so it's just gone through that essentially, doing more kind of done some brand work, done some adverts, mm. music videos, live performances. And so it's a very different world, I would say, to DJing um, or to journalism, but it's, I just, oh, I just have so much endless respect for the level of skill involved in professional dancing when I see other people in class. I think it is a small world and I think it is a poorly understood, I think in a lot of situations, which is fine. You know, why would you understand it if you're not in it? But I think it's just the level of skill these people have is just unreal. The level of skill you have, Artie, and also, we're going we're going back to the discussing you up one second, because as you're talking, I was just like, oh, my God, like you're talking about like so passionately about like how brilliant and amazing and skillful dancers are. And I'm like, but that's that's you. You're doing it. And it, it is like so you have essentially three jobs. So <laughs> journalist, dancer that we know of, <laughs> journalist, dancer, DJ. And also you're doing really well at all of them. Like, and I would like, so for those of you who don't know, like economic um, correspondent at the times. And then like, also you mentioned you've been in these crazy big music videos and like you have a, like a rinse radio show. You've done all these guest mixes. You, you DJed out with like Pussy Palace, Daytimers with Katie B, I think I saw. Like, how does that feel kind of, because you can't even really call dance or DJing a hobby for you. Like that would be like a huge disservice. I think like you're so talented at those things and like take them really seriously and like do really incredible paid work. I guess like one, how does this feel like not only having one thing that you love, but three. And also do you ever maybe feel like you're spreading yourself a bit thin? Do you sometimes be like, oh my God, when was the last time I just turned off? So it's interesting because I think I'm a generalist because I like the balance of things. Um, I don't think I could do just one. Doing one gives me appreciation for the other, which gives me appreciation for the other. I think as much as I do always feel like I spread myself too thin because I think I could be better at all of these things if I just did one of them. <laughs> I don't think I'll be happy because I think I need the creative outlet, but I get existential very easily. So if I keep doing 
too much of one thing, then I start thinking, oh, what's the point? <laughs> like, what's the point? Okay, you play songs, people react, then you do it again. What's the point? I know that's not true. I know that's not true. But I find it hard to keep my motivation up if I just do one thing because it will feel like I can't find new inspiration. Whereas when I leave it and then I go do something else and I come back, it gives me that motivation again. And I have a lot of respect for specialists because I know that they, they're the ones that are really, really honing their craft, I think. And they, they're always finding new things to be inspired by. But I know I just don't work like that. Like I need to have a balance of different things and I need to be able to stimulate one part of myself and not let another one go I think are you permanently exhausted do you know what I'm not actually that bad I'm not that bad I'm, I'm exhausted sometimes I'm anxious quite a lot of the time but um, I'm getting quite good at trying to figure out how to get my sleep in or make it so that my nights out are not that don't have that much of a toll do you know what I mean <laughs> To bring it back to the music, you obviously have a rinse show. Talk us through that journey of, you know, starting out and dabbling and, okay, I want to do this to, yeah, to London, to London, the show. Yeah. uh, So I started out with mixes that I entered into competitions to get sets. And the first set I was given in London was um, by Lucid London. So that's run by um, Nadia Noodle and Abs. Um, I don't know her full name, Abs. (laughs) I need to find out her full name. Um, But yeah, these amazing girls. So they gave me that opportunity to play at this night. And then um, Mina was the next one, uh, a producer I've always looked up to. absolutely love her. And um, I was so happy to get that one as well. And that was a, a warm up for one of her um, album launch shows and so yeah from that it was kind of like one thing led to another I started doing radio guest appearances I went on my friend Abdi's show Warmth London on Balami and then um, I did a few others I think I did NTS a cover show for Mina and at first I was really really not comfortable on radio I didn't want to talk at all I felt really like I don't know what to say I'm just gonna mix I think with radio it just got a little bit more like I realized the radio that I like is when people talk to me and when I feel like I've got company you don't actually have to put pressure you don't have to reinvent the wheel or say something groundbreaking I don't think because it's just a case of feeling like you're spending time with a friend in my opinion that's what I like about radio anyway Carla O'Malley so she got me on Why Now Radio they started a new radio station and it was a really good opportunity they gave me complete creative control over the show I was able to do artist interviews and a bit of talking a bit of mixing and just kind of work through what I would and wouldn't want in a show what works and yeah they were really great I had such a good starting ground to get used to that and I'm really glad that they took a chance on me and gave me a show after a few guest appearances here and there and then I did that for about six months and then um, I met up with G who one of the founders of Rinse they were saying that they want to get some new residents in and they'd like to have me on and so it just worked out really well where I wanted to just do something more regular and have a platform and be able to create my own sound and have people know what they're going to get and come tune in for a particular mood. Like I always want it to be um, uplifting. I don't want it to be genre dependent. I don't want it to be music, new music dependent because realistically I'm not really about always having the latest tunes. I listen to other shows for that. So I just wanted to bring a mood. I think after a while I felt like the show started to get its identity and I felt like I was able to put more of myself out there and not feel awkward about it and just talk. (laughs) (laughs) You recently played at Peckham Level supporting, I mean, one of my favourite producers and I'm sure yours as well, Jules. What else have you got coming up this spring, summer in terms of DJ sets or anything else that you feel like you want to give us a little announce or leak or just, yeah, tell us, tell us what your, what your calendar is looking like. 
So I've got a few festivals coming up with KEB and I'm really excited about those, going to be across the UK for those. I've got a couple of gigs that I would love to tell you about, but they haven't announced them yet. <laughs> but, um, but let me tell I can tell you one of them is Bucket List. I'm really excited about it. Another one is, it's a festival, I can tell you that. That's about it. <laughs> but um, she's being coy. So I know they haven't announced it, so I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> also, okay. Well, seeing as you didn't really give us a proper answer, I'm going to ask <laughs> another question. <laughs> um, so I've we. It's a day after. No, two days after dialed in. You both sadly weren't there, but I was. It was amazing. Best thing ever. And you have been involved. Uh, I think. Did you DJ last year? Yeah, I DJed at the day party and the after party last year. I just wanted to know as like someone who is very much in the music industry, like how this kind of new resurgence of a new South Asian underground feels for you. Like, is it something that you've been really excited about? And how, yeah, how does it make you feel like seeing everything that's happened over this past year? So it's, I think firstly, it's astronomical, the, the kind of cultural change, I think, in not cultural change, I would say like um, recognition that that dialed in and daytimers and Ahad's work that everyone involved that they've brought in the music industry. I think it's absolutely incredible. And I think also what shouldn't un be understated is the amount of work that it goes to keep a community pushing. Like it's easy to do, I think, well, not easy, but you know, you can have one success and that can be something people remember, but to have the success of that 24 hour charity event that was the first thing that they did to then have an amazing first dialed in, to then have a second one and to keep going from there. I think just the amount of work they've been putting behind the scenes is I can't even imagine it. So just, yeah, endless respect to everyone involved for that. I really would not have expected this. Like when I started kind of taking, doing gigs seriously in like 2019, I think I probably wouldn't have seen this coming. On the broader thing of the industry, I would say that there's always an issue with representation because there's the really good intention stuff of platforming um, amazing initiatives like this. But I think also whether it's music industry or wider, I kind of have a prickly like relationship with the idea of representation just in terms of how it's received outside the community, because I often think that sometimes it can be taken away that's like a little bit tokenistic or, you know, can be like something, I suppose, that um, boxes you in. I I've been asked, for example, like um, if I can play South Asian music at a set, for example, or if I can do South Asian dance on a job that's been booked within the industry. And it might not have been what I was going to do. And um, in that way, it kind of feels like you ideally want people to receive this message in a way that gives us all more freedom. And I think in most cases, it probably does do that. But I think there's always a concern that I think we just have to be aware of where you don't want it to mean less freedom, I suppose. Or it was the point that you made at first where you're like, well, we are all South Asian, but equally, we shouldn't have to keep talking about it. But equally, it is an important part of our lives that we want to cherish and we want to tap into so where's the balance there so I think that's something I'm thinking about a lot at the moment like I'm really really happy that there's this whole new it feels like loads of new family members do you know what I mean like when you kind of relate to I think a lot of us might have been in this position whereby you've had South Asian friends um, and whatnot but relating to um, your South Asian friends on a level that you you're into the same underground music culture like that is mad <laughs> I think that is like a whole new level of finding your people do you know what I mean so I think that I feel so grateful that we've all found that I think the next step is making sure that that representation serves us in the way that it's received by the wider industry and doesn't actually box us in more yeah I think like the next 
2021 has been amazing for us but i think in in many ways the challenge is maintaining it because i think a lot of you know a lot of publications and a lot of brands will jump on it because it's the in thing and you know it's, and it has kind of been the in thing for the last year or so so i think that the real challenge is, is trying to see it through the next few years and it's been like okay well no it was yeah there, there was a moment where the tide changed but like we need to make sure that you know we keep on where we stay on those lineups and we're not eventually just cycled out of them mm. um for you know for whatever you know mainstream music might see next as the next like in thing yeah 100% yeah and reminding people that it's also not uh, the only thing about our our identity mm. which is why yeah at the beginning i was like you don't just want to be invited onto things just to talk about being tamil you know you're a million more more than that so you don't want to be exactly just like boiled down to this like one aspect of who we are I, yeah the longevity needs to be like yeah this is us and this is really important there's so much more 100% that's exactly it and i was actually thinking about it today because someone messaged um because i did sky today and someone messaged it was a brown guy and he i don't know who he was but and he messaged and said um oh it was so good i saw you in the news it was so good to see a brown woman talking about finance and taxes and whatnot and i was like I really, I wouldn't come for anyone um, who says anything like that because it's a kind thing to say they're trying to be nice. And like, I appreciate that they've taken the time out their day to do that. But it did make me think, um, I don't want to actually be appreciated as a brown woman doing anything. I want to be appreciated for the value of what I'm saying, for my how my set made someone feel, um, how I performed in that dance video. Like I actually, because that kind of gives me, oh, good for a brown girl. Do you know the same way that it's like, oh, a female DJ? Um, I would rather that, I'd rather get to a point where what I'm saying is holds enough weight that regardless who says it, you're going to listen to it. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> that's what I'd, I'd want to do. And that's what everyone ideally wants to get to with their work. And so it's not uh, aspirational, I suppose, to be like a, a brown woman doing X, Y, Z. You just want to be a person who's good at their job. <laughs> yeah, I was speaking to Jyoti about a similar thing and she just put it really well. She was like, being brown is who I am. It's not on my CV. Like it's not listed as like something you can ask me about, something I have experience in. It's just who I am. So like, right? Yeah. Yes, you don't need to bring it back to that all the time. Mm, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's like it's such a double-edged sword for you know minorities because it's something that we kind of have to have this conversation and, and we have to grapple with it. Whereas you know white mainstream society in within music, you know they 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 probably they're probably not asking themselves these questions. Are exactly, they? it's another burden, isn't it, that you have to think about it or you have to represent. I was listening to the receipts podcast and they were saying, um, and it's hosted by um, two black women and a Latina woman, and they were saying, um, Tolly, who's um, Nigerian, she was saying, I don't represent black people. <laughs> Let me just say that now, I don't represent everyone. And I kind of feel like yeah, she was so funny when she was like, even if your name is Tolly and you're British Nigerian. I don't, I don't represent you. My, I don't know you. A hundred percent. And it's like, um, that's kind of what it is because ultimately all of this representation is a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. It's a means towards us having the freedom to actually be ourselves and be able to excel in whatever it is that we want to do. Like, for example, if you're talking about representation in politics, it's about what's the impact of the fact that that person is brown. Does that mean that they're going to better serve ethnic communities, brown communities? Because if they're not doing that, then that representation is not really having that impact is it well i suppose there's also the optics of you know if someone a, a younger person maybe can see you as a role model and can maybe see that oh i could maybe do that because i can see this person doing it so there's various things about it but in every way it's a means to an end it's not the end goal so i think that's the next step probably to think about 
Exactly. Very well said. And we should probably wrap it up because I don't want to take your whole evening up. It's the one we've all been waiting for. Artie, I'm going to ask you, you maybe mentioned you didn't prepare this, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you anyway, what your Dearcy Island disc would be, please. So mine is a bit of a no brainer. I know I said I didn't prepare, but that's because when I first read it, it was so obvious. I didn't think about it since, but um, <laughs> it's Chinda Chinase. It's um, a song by A.R. Rahman, OG Tamil producer, who everyone knows probably because of J-Ho. It's a song that my mum always used to love. It's a Tamil song I always grew up with. I play it in sets now. It's about 80 BPM, 84. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I love to throw it in radio and sets here and there. And it's just a, it's, um, just a song that reminds me of my childhood. It just kind of feels a little bit full circle, really.